Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Week commencing 17th of December 2018. It's the Christmas party week at Doing Grain, so um, by the end of the week we'll be talking a lot less sense than we are at the start. Right, the grain market. Let's start with wheat. Uh, prices have moved up a bit. The whole market has been all over the place. There's there's a kind of a bit of trade going on from farm. There's a bit of trade going into consumers. Uh, the world markets have jumped up a bit. Uh, there's been soybeans trading into China from America. Two million tons allegedly has been done. So everything's taken a bit of a, a, a jump. So feed wheat prices for January, X farm, 170 there hasn't been enough farmers selling for the amount of, of people trying to cover their January, February, March books. So it, it's being chased a bit. Yeah, that's a great price. Uh, May, X Farm, 175. These are good. We're back into the 70s. That's really good for farmers. It's a fantastic price. We're still of the opinion that the UK has a surplus this year. We're still of the opinion that in the longer term, the market is going to come under pressure. Probably not as we lead through the next couple of weeks because there's no one there to, to buy it from. But looking at Jan, Feb, March, yep, yeah, I think when will the farmers come to the table? We, we don't know. Um, 170 isn't enough. Uh, has it got to be 180? Will it get there? I don't know. I do not know. I do not think we'll be paying 180 X farm for May wheat is my, is my view. So uh, that's the kiss of death for that. New crop, harvest probably, if you wanted to buy it, we've had people offering us harvest wheat. It's it's probably worth just under 150. In reality, if you're bidding 149 or 149.50, then there's the obvious statement. So either you, you as a merchant accept that and buy it or you don't. So yeah, 150x farm for harvest movement wheat is what we would pay at the top. I understand there's, a, there's the odd person out there possibly paying more here and there. Well, Good luck to you guys. I, I can't see a margin in it. And um, we've discussed uh, merchants' profitability in the past. So perhaps you think the market's still going up. Yeah, we, we, we think 150 is a good price. It's moved up a bit. You know, farmers listen, sell it. it it's got lots of bearish reasons you, that you need to cover. Uh, if you took a November value, 155 which you know gives you a fiver carry from harvest, which is barely worth that. So yeah, it's uh, been very positive price-wise. Feed barley, probably 164x for January movement. That's pretty sideways, not nondescript. Seems to have lost some of its uh, luster in, in export opportunities. One or two consumers have got a bit to buy, so it's going to go sideways. You'd probably make 170x farm for June if you could be bothered to wait that long. Harvest feed barley, currently... No buyers of the stuff from us, so we would be hedging it by selling feed wheat. Um, so a guess would be 130x um, with 135 delivered for harvest movement into store. Uh, that just leaves oilseed rape, 317 for harvest movement. 
I think that's about the same as last time we came on. Again, we're underlyingly quite friendly to that. Obviously, uh, the UK price will have a dependency on uh, the pound. I can't comment on the pound, so flip your own coin and decide whether the pound's going to go up or down. And, and if the pound goes up, your price comes down and, and so on. Old crop, 325, X farm. Yeah, that's much the same as it was. Still, there's there's not that much rape out there to trade. But what out, is out there, I don't see much of a downside to it, so so stick with it. Actually, I'd forgotten malting barley, hadn't I? Yep, still in demand, still got people getting uh, more and more rejections or people bidding for grain to replace uh, sales they've got. So we've got a little bit behind us to cover all of our sales to make sure we're okay. Uh, and we hope the market continues along the track of not having enough supply. Other than that, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's Christmas and uh, I hope you get the market right. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Ben Burgess Crop Storage offer a wide range of equipment from handling, processing and storage of harvested crops. From initial advice on any aspect of crop handling and storage through to design, supply, build and installation of complete intake, drying, dressing and storage plants. The Ben Burgess Aftercare support team includes dedicated technicians who are also on hand to service all crop storage machinery too, so you're always looked after. Visit benburgess.co.uk or search Ben Burgess Crop Storage for more information on how the team can assist you. And now it's time for our feature. This evening, I am with... Two prominent ladies from the industry. So just for the record, um, guys, can you just tell us what you do, both of you? So Erin, you first. Um, Okay, so I head up the commodity risk team at Tesco. I'm Lisa, and I I look after clients at CME Group and mostly focus on hedgers. Hedgers are anyone who grows stuff who needs to sell something to protect protect a price or more importantly somebody wants to buy something like the grain against their biscuits they can they can buy futures and 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 secure a price as well and the point is that people in this industry have lots and lots of jobs to do beyond just physically tilling the tilling the earth and and so on there's lots of analysis there's lots of markets to trade late into the night and there are people who really really do work very very long hours doing it so good evening ladies Hello. Hello. That was that was Erin first and Lisa second. So what do you think will happen post-Brexit to UK agriculture? Lisa. I mean, I'm I'm not an expert in this um, on UK agriculture, you know, because I only uh, but what I see is you never can tell what's going to happen. And I think everybody does need to be very careful because I do really like how the UK takes care of their farmers, you know, and and I really like how you can, you know, there are the small farms. It's not just going big corporate farms. You know, I find that to be a real positive. I mean, in where I was raised, like when I was a kid, there was about a hundred different farms producing pork and had pigs. Mm-hmm. Now there's maybe one or two in the entire county, mm-hmm. you know, so it's it's changing times. And I think it is really healthy to support the family farm. Okay, and and Erin, what's your thoughts on? I'm probably going to offer up a slightly different view on that. Um, I think it the opportunity I'm going to call it of Brexit, and I'm not really taking a stance either way on how it comes out. But um, you know, the UK has always been a a driver ahead of the EU in terms of 
um, trying to build efficiencies and stay ahead of the curve in terms of any legislation that the EU may bring in, and that might be to do with penning pigs or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm sort of more of the opinion that the subsidies that EU farmers get do not does not create efficiency within farming. Um, so what I'd like to see is I'd like to see the UK become a little bit more of a world player, mm-hmm. and I think we have a great opportunity to do that, and not just sort of talking about UK wheat. Um, you know, you're talking about the sugar beet guys as well. There's a real opportunity for UK farmers, no matter what they're growing or involved in, to to be part of a, a bigger global market and to play in that sort of more efficient efficient sort uh, of role. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's great to hear. That really is great to hear. I mean, I, is it a coincidence that people talk about the efficiencies of farming and the yield has plateaued? It's plateaued since acreage payment. That's when it stopped. Before then, people were rewarded for volume, which was wrong because we had mountains of grain, mountains of butter, mountains of wine, which we now all can help deal with generally. But it comes back to it changed to being they were paid a certain amount of money and it didn't it didn't make that much difference, the, the yield aspect. It, it may well be that we've you know, plateau because we've actually lost the uh, uh, ability or maybe our land is degenerating. But, but I, I think that if we were still rewarded for volume, I think volume would have increased. You know, it's about mo- motivation for trading people is financial in the end. Unfortunately, money is the motivator of most industries. Lisa. So- and then, but what I see every day and focusing all the time is, you know, so to Aaron's point where you, you know, maybe look to see, yeah, where can you be aggressive is that the Black Sea region is just so impressive these days. How mm. much grain that's coming out of that region now and how big those farms are. I mean, so, yeah, it's a tough evaluation, but I'm really, that's something to watch out for. I um, just want to touch on that Black Sea. That's a, an extremely good point. I mean, if you look at Russia now, and I'm going to talk sugar beet, they used to be the world's biggest importer of raw sugar. Now they're Europe's leading, and I'm including them in Europe, um, exporter. Mm. Um, so the efficiency, I guess the efficiencies are improving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone slapped sanctions on them a few years ago, and I think that's only driven their productivity. Like, well, they've got the land. They can do this themselves. They don't need to be reliant on imported. So I'm not saying that that's what Brexit will look like. But I think, you know, those sort of, you know, the, no one sort of foresaw those oppo- those sanctions being put in place, yet they seem to have only benefited in terms of growth in agricultural production. Um, so I feel that Brexit may create that opportunity. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and you know, the Black Sea, Russia unfortunately for the UK producer, is, is potentially going to continue to increase its production, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, I think we had a gas tender today and it was won by Ukraine and Russia. Um, and I, that's I, quite unusual. I mean, I, I have to look at the figures, but, um, you know, this is normally a period of time where they are slowing down their exports. And yet I think it was 360,000 tonnes. Quite a chunk. Right, I'm going to ask, right, next question. Should we... Deal or no deal, or referendum, or, in honour of our Norwegian friend, the Norway model? Um, I might touch on all of them, maybe. Um, We had a referendum. 
it was the result some people wanted. And I think if you had a second referendum, it would be a completely different result because I think everyone feels a little bit more educated about what Brexit actually means. Um, you can't I, have a second referendum. It's, no. It's democracy thrown out the window. Uh, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, you know, I, I'm a... I'm a Remainer and I lost, you know, the 17 million people who voted to stay in, which represents apparently 52% of the population. Controversial. Um, Yep, they won. Fair play. Part of me wants there to be no deal. So when it is complete and utter mayhem just after the date, there will be a moment where they can't blame anyone else. They'll probably say that Theresa May did something wrong, but the reality is no deal means queues on the M20 means a whole lot of issues that, like, we don't get drinking water by the sound of it. Um, yeah, OK, Project Hysteria, Project Fear, Project Reality. They can't blame someone else. Part of me wants the Brexiteers to kind of have to face it, put their hands up and go, sorry about that. The, the risk manager in me would like a deal. Yeah. The other side of me the risk taker the crazy australian crazy australian <laughs> would like a no deal to see that to actually see how it might play out yeah is it all that fear-mongering about we're not going to have food yeah. i i get that if, if there's a referendum come around again i would i would possibly go that way purely from the de- de- democratic aspect i think there's no point having something it was worded wrongly the the, the guy who's prime minister really did do that for his own ends and bug it off. In the end, it is a bad situation, but I think we've got to go with it and see see where we land. It's it. Least what what's your what's your take on that? De- deal, no deal, referendum, or the Norway model? I was really excited because you guys gave me a passport, and so <laughs> I went woohoo! I'm European. And then two weeks later, Brexit happened. Oh. I've been traumatized ever since. Black passport soon. Yeah, and so now I've got an American passport, and you know, because Trump's Trump's like crazy there, and you know, you got the whole trade war, you know, trauma. uh, The state of Illinois is nearly bankrupt, uh, and then you know, you hear you got Brexit happening. I kind of feel like I'm lost either way. I I don't know what to do. I'm just I just want it all to end. Uh, mm. But I I think instead of even though you're like, hey, everybody should have paid attention to what they're voting for. I just I, I'm not quite sure what the I'm going to be really bad here and not say I'm not quite sure what the best outcome is here. Just I I'm I, hard Brexit does scare me. Mm. Uh, just because all the people have been told that we'll need to start working outside of the UK, you know, come April first and how, like, I mean, portion of our business, just to be careful, you know, uh, there is uh, part of a business that we bought, they're, they're opening an office in Amsterdam, you know, like, that it does scare me. Yeah, know, no, you, all those people that do will need to start working. And, who's really thought that through is in the same boat, except for the Brexit, is just a project in Syria as their bottom line. We, we are in a completely puzzling scenario, and there is no answer, is there, yet? One of the things I want to talk about is a very prickly subject, which is uh, women in agriculture. And the reason that it's prickly is because there aren't many of you, are there? So I'm going to go to to Lisa first. I'm going to say, Lisa, I looked at the list of people who are going to the Bourse tomorrow in in, uh, the Dickens pub in St. Catherine's Dock, and there are 13 
women out of 142 people. How do you feel about being a minority in this industry? Well, anymore, it doesn't phase me. But then I'm like a farm kid. I had to have my own pigs. I have three brothers. I used to work on the trading floor. Very little phases me anymore. I mean, the only thing I could say about that is it's really easy to get into the women's, uh, the women's loo. There's no cues, you know. But uh, <laughs> I, what it does frustrate me sometimes, especially I find, like, there's a lot of people like me that are on the service side of the industry, uh, but uh, I would like to have more traders. Yeah. I, I find, like, when I look around at traders, there's, uh, throughout Europe, I find there's only a handful there's only a handful of women traders, which I think makes me really sad because where are these like women that are being raised on farms and that are smart in mass? You know, they could totally they would they would totally fit well in this industry. And actually, uh, we did a uh, we did a seminar with uh, Macquarie not too long ago, where they invited a lot of students and, and there were a lot of female students just to expose them as to what trading was, and they all thought it was the wolf of, like the wolf of Wall Street. They didn't want to take part in something like that. And I thought that was really interesting. Like, what is, what, what is stopping people from studying agriculture? What is stopping women from studying agriculture? And I would, I would really like to, I think, you know, if people have daughters out there, they should really say, you know, teach them a bit about the markets. Teach them like, hey, have you seen the price here? Have you seen, you know, how we might look at, uh, you know, uh, pricing our, our grain this year? You know, get them interested because it is a good industry and people are good people and that they should have more women. If, for those of you who haven't worked it out, Lisa isn't from Norfolk like the, like the bulk of our guests. In fact, she's not even from the UK uh, or Europe. She's, uh, you know, she's an American. She's from Illinois. And she's become, over a period of 10 years that I've known her, my correspondent. Which, which is actually a good point. I don't, I don't know very many women from Britain in this industry. Well, like, because if I'm American and Erin's Australian, let's and, let's move uh, across to let's, let's go let's go to let's go to to Erin on on the original question. This is a very good point. So we have an American and an Australian, and we have no prominent UK women anywhere near your level in this industry that I've met at bourses or trade dues or all around Europe at all other than one Norwegian friend of ours who can't speak tonight? That is a, an extremely good point. Um, and, I mean, I've worked, I've worked in the UK for 11 years and I've worked at numerous companies. Um, and I've not just been based in London. I've had the privilege of working out of London as well uh, for grain trading companies and on a procurement function. And, yeah, I've been the only female either trading or in those procurement teams um, and it, like Lisa, it hasn't, doesn't actually phase me that much. I didn't actually realise it was an issue until probably the last five years when st- people started pointing out it was an issue. Um, but it is an interesting point. And at one previous company I worked at, there was a very much a big push to get women into leadership roles. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't just in agriculture, although it was an agricultural-based company, um, but also to get youth involved in agriculture. Mm. So, you know, I sort of worked across both sides of that. Um, and that youth wasn't just, you know, get young boys out onto tractors. It was trying to get that stigma away from what I think British people think agriculture is. Yeah. Um, and I think if you go to Australia and you think about agriculture, you think maybe what you do in America, I don't know, like sort of it's more wide open spaces, big, long, broad acre crops. Here when I think people think about farming, it's 
uh, dairy cows, muddy boots. Um, so I think it is a global a global thing, but based in the UK here, yeah, it's definitely a... Well, not, not being funny, the agricultural industry has a kind of macho image, get up at 5am, go to bed at midnight and work all day long, when we all know that's not actually true unless you've got livestock. Um, and it, what I find interesting is looking at the spread across where women in commodities work. Um, and I, I was mentioning earlier uh, there's a women in sugar group and there seems to be a lot of women who work in that, that industry but then if you look at the percentages, it's probably still quite low. Um, and we were having this conversation. Um, once again, we were at a, um, a Macquarie Bank Women in Agriculture event mm-hmm. looking at this. And I think, you know, the fact that just, it's women in agriculture and it's very – feels very one-dimensional. Um, and we spoke about the fact that agriculture is not just the farm. And I think that, that might be where the misconception is and might have been where Lisa was sort of going with, you know, you can trade – you can be um, in finance, you can be in the supply chain, logistics. You know, it's not just a one-dimensional, you work in agriculture, you work on a farm. Um, and I think getting that message across as well. So I love agriculture and the reason why I got into it is my, my dad was, well, my dad's a farmer, my, my brother's a farmer, and my dad always discussed the markets with me. And he always discussed the the politics around farming with me. And so I loved it. So I thought, you know, I'll study agriculture in university. And there were lots of women that I studied agriculture in with in university. It's it, what we need, though, is is that is that grassroots attitude of, you know, what agriculture is something I could be involved with. I think that's that's basically the theme, isn't it? Yeah, so absolutely. You know, so if there's any any uh, farmers' daughters or any, anyone out there, do you know what? You've got a great opportunity to do a job that's really interesting and fun, because it is it is about you know, growing, growing food, it is about the fields, it is about, you know, the weather, it is about things that are topical all the time. You know, this Brexit stuff that's going on has real resonance if you're trading a commodity. And, uh, and it's interesting, it's way more interesting than, than loads of the other jobs that are out there. So, you know, yes, if, if we've got sport on TV with, with, with women coming to the fore, the, the attitude definitely is changing. Um, it's, it's our last episode before Christmas, and we're going we're gonna to wind this up because we're going we're gonna to go and be trendy in, in London, as, uh, as Norfolk boys like to do, looking for Big Ben and getting a quick neck because it's exciting. Are you heading home, Lisa, for Christmas? Are you going back to America for Christmas? I am. I'm really excited about it. Okay. So uh, I'm going to go see my brother in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, all of his little munchkin kids. There's like four of them, and he works for Pioneer Seed Corn Company, and then I'm going to go home to the family farm. And it's my dad's birthday on the 24th, Brilliant. and uh, uh, it'll be great. And usually my brother will say me some little simple job on the tractor that he thinks, all right, maybe she can do this. And uh, sometimes I get it done, sometimes I don't. Brilliant. Erin, yeah. 24 hours on the plane, how about you? Uh, definitely not, thank <laughs> you. Um, I am staying in the UK for Christmas mm-hmm. for the second time ever in my 11-year history here. Will, you, will your husband buy you something inappropriate or will he nail it correctly? No, be... I, judging by the birthday present I've just received, I'm going to have to give him some help. <laughs> He's very good. He, he knows what I like. Unfortunately, and I can say this because I know he'll never listen, um, unfortunately he gets me the same thing all the time. Um, no, no, no. No, it's very nice. Like, it's always a handbag of perfume. But oh. it's always a handbag or perfume. Listen, the, the Doing Grain office has a secret Santa. And each year you have £5 to spend in a charity shop. 
And I had, I, I will, whoever, I don't know which one of them bought it, but my one was a, a tray with this wicker sort of edging and a picture of Princess Di and Prince Charles with young uh, Wills as a baby in this just awful, cheesy picture. Uh, and it was, it was absolutely That's whoever. That's amazing. Oh, it's just, it's, it's got to be worth it. It was so fantastic. But, you know, this year I, I'm, I'm itching to get round the charity shops and find something beyond tacky for my £4.99. So, guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. It's late in the evening. You've worked and had a very long day. So, thank you. Thank you and Merry Christmas. Thanks, everyone. Merry Christmas. Okay. Here is the big announcement of the winner of the hamper from Bakers and Llamas of Holt. Come on then, who is it, Andrew? Who have well, we got? Their Twitter page is a Norfolk farmer. Okay. His strap line That's is he's got all the correct number of, of fingers and toes. <laughs> so you must come from outside the county. Anyway, it is Mark Thompson, who I know, Mark Thompson. So congratulations, Mark. I shall, uh, I shall be contacting you after this podcast has gone out to uh, let you know if you haven't listened already, and uh, I will be bringing the, the, the hamper along before we get to Christmas. So congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Enjoy. And now it's time for Farm Chat. Uh, today I've got with me Josh. Um, Josh and I have been to the London Bourse last week and we're going to talk about uh, what we felt about that in a minute or two but first we're going to get on to, to the beer side of things now I got a trendy present from my wife um, as my Christmas present which is a advent calendar with a different beer in it each and every day and they are unbelievably trendy so Josh what, um, what are you going to be trying for us today? I'll be trying uh, a Norwegian beer, which has a name which I can't pronounce. Um, it's, the only thing that's written in English is the fact it's got malt oats and uh, malted oat flakes, whatever that is. Exactly, I'm not sure, but it seems to be doing a job. Of course, it's an IPA, like everything these days, so it's kind of overwhelmed by hops, but it's still a very nice beer. Overwhelmed by hops. <laughs> I like hops. Anyway, it looks very cloudy. That must be the uh, the oat flakes, I guess. Okay, well, I've got, and even, we're going to take a photo of this. This is this looks like someone's painted the edge of the can. It's so, so edgy. Um, it is a, a Boundary, Boundary American Pale Ale. And Boundary is a cooperative brewery owned by its members. We like the sound of that. We believe that life is best when shared and enjoyed with others. We think the same about beer. So grab a beer and a friend and enjoy. Brewed and canned in Belfast. So it isn't American Panel at all. It's uh, Northern Irish. Lovely. Hopefully tariff-free then. <laughs> right. I haven't even tried mine yet, so here we go. Oh, overwhelmed by hops. <laughs> no, that's actually really quite normal, straightforward stuff. It's 4.3, so I think you'll find yours is a bit heavier than that, which is why you got that can. Let's get on to the... Uh, Last week's boss. I mean, got to say, I think the venue uh, was really good. Uh, certainly, uh, compared to the recent ones, what do you think, Josh? Yeah, I thought it was um, superb. St Catherine's Docks is lovely. Um, the, it was the Dickens pub, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The Dickens Inn's great. You know, very nice old historic building. Uh, good beer, good bar. Could have been maybe doing a slightly larger. 
I think record attendance was also great, um, which I think Brad, you're doing a great job on that. So, so yeah, here, here, well done, Brad. That is a really good, good effort on your part, and it was full of lots of young and old people, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. There was. Uh, there's definitely. It seems to be every time I go, people are getting younger, which is great from my point of view. Um, yeah, it's good to make new contacts in the industry from from my perspective, definitely. Yeah, and and the old wrinklies, you know, like myself, there's enough of us about to kind of pass our wisdom, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. There's a few older boys who like to tell you how it used to be, um, <laughs> which is fine. I think now we're on this. I'm going to I'm going to pick you up on something. I saw one of my old mates, Adrian Fisher, and. Uh, he was on good form. He was he was being his usual controversial self, and um, he he said he had a conversation with you, and he said that you said that now I'm getting older, um, all the filters are coming <laughs> off, and I'm saying more and more outrageous things. So explain what all the filters are coming off means. Well, I know that you went down on the Thursday uh, evening before, and also taking the recording equipment for the podcast. Fine. But when you threatened to take it around the board and start asking other people in the industry for their opinion and deliberately going up to people asking antagonising questions, <laughs> I thought this can only end one way. And knowing Adrian, that you see him every week to go and watch football with him and knowing him quite well, I thought that I may as well just mention that I was concerned about what you might be doing, asking the wrong people in the industry the wrong questions just to get a reaction. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's obviously no wrong people. Um, no. But I, I, uh, I would just say that by the time we got round to Adrian, he had his customary eighteen pints. I, um, it, it, he wouldn't have stopped me anyway. No, I, I, I sussed that in fact it wouldn't have been the right thing to to do. And besides, the noise level with 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 our e- equipment, you may well have noticed that uh, the the equip that our sound quality. He's actually very good. I mean, we've listened to various podcasts of other people, and it's, it's very authentic having uh, having your your iPhone doing the recording. But actually, investing in decent kit, if anyone's going to copy us, um, is a very important issue. And these microphones pick up every conversation. So all I did was just simply point the microphone at lots of conversations in the distance, and I've got all the records down. <laughs> No, to, to be fair, I must say that, you know, within the industry, the podcast is actually uh, very well received. And I'd say most of my conversations throughout the day started on the grounds of our podcast. So um, there's obviously a gap in the market for it, which hopefully, hopefully we're filling. No doubt there'll be someone else that comes out with something. Um, it'll, but, be, but, it'll be much more know. polished, I'm quite certain. Yeah, but, uh, in which case, you know, good. You know, it's, it's, it's all very exciting. To be fair, there were quite a few people asking me exactly who we use our production team and, and things like that. So yeah, it no, might I be getting tapped up. You never yeah, know. Yeah, well, I hope so. Well, certainly it'd be great for, great for Claire and Susie at uh, Tinshed Productions and great for East Coast Productions um, in Norwich as well. So, yeah, it, it, it does pay to ask es- experts on this subject. Before you leap in, there's much more to it than just buying a tape recorder and, uh, and then saying, oh, I'm going to do a podcast because it has to be put onto the platforms that actually people then download it from. And, that, and there's that stuff, thankfully, I left to them and paid yeah. them money, and I'm really grateful. No, 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 they, they seem to be very good. But like I say, you know, the, the, it was very, very well received. Um, yeah, the only people that don't listen to it are the old ones. Oh, I don't want to listen to podcasts. Well, they don't know how to get it on there, do they? That's, my, that's our biggest dilemma. Lots of the decision makers, actually, some of the stuff they'd laugh at, but they, they don't know how to actually get it on their phones. Which I wouldn't either if I hadn't had someone do it for me and point it all out. And obviously, I'm going to listen to myself to make sure 
well, find out what stupid things I've said the previous yeah, week. Exactly. Norfolk was well represented, wasn't Norfolk it? Was we had well Adams and Howling, Bannams, it on you know, on force or in force. Um yeah, it was it was really good. Matthew and 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 Chrissy Borrow from Adams and were in fantastically good humour at the end of the evening. We had a great chat, you know, yeah. and, and had a little chat about how to set prices up in Norfolk, but that didn't, that came to nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is getting near Christmas. We're allowed to make jokes, just in case anyone takes that seriously. The, the seed trade, they, they were they were they had their dinner the night before, so some of them looked a bit peaky, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Uh, they're always there in yeah, quite a lot. large number of, you know, there's a lot of them, and I'm I think glad I, you do the seed. I really don't get. They're a very strange bunch. Out, out of this, out of, I think out of the six sponsors, four of them were plant breeders to show yeah. where the money really is in the in the industry. You do know, you think, I don't do think, think that's true. Is that where the money really is? I think, yeah. Well, their 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 trade dinner was at the Hilton, you know, in I, Shepherd's Bush. So it's uh, in okay. South Kensington. So it's slightly. Slightly better than um, the McCure in Norwich. My, my evening ended. I actually um, Tess came down to London as well, and and uh, like a, like a very good husband, at about seven o'clock, I left, and I went back, and I said, "Right, Tess, you know, I'm in reasonably good shape here. Let's let's go out for a, something to eat." And she'd already organised a um, a meal in the in the room. She thought, "Oh, I didn't expect to see you till a lot later," so. Uh, you know, so she was she was tucking into a a, a vimto and a, and a burger. I thought, oh, I don't want to come out. She said, I'm going to sit and watch telly. Okay, I said. So I went back, <laughs> and guess who? Guess who I found in the pub? Have one guess of the person I found. There's a couple of other people, but the person I found, Paul Munt. <laughs> my my buddy Munty was there, and and I was able to say, right, well, you know, Munty, here I am. What what should we do now? Well, boy, well, boy, yeah. better go and have a jack, he said. <laughs> and so we actually ended up sitting in some trendy little bar on the edge of uh, Tower Bridge with a whole load of Christmas parties and young people doing all sorts of crazy stuff to each other, sitting there like the two old men on the Muppets. <laughs> I turned up back for Tess exactly in the state that she'd, she expected me in the first place. <laughs> yeah. No, well, it, yeah. You went, you went on, didn't you? you, didn't, you yeah, didn't... no, we went on. Uh, a few friends live in London, so I just went to go see them for, for a couple of beers and ended up getting the last train home, uh, which was interesting. Actually got, uh, got on the same train as one of our farmers who was... Uh, yeah, that was interesting. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, very, very well, funny. N- yeah, Nick was on there. Nick yeah, yeah Nick, there. Nick, and, Nick. And Hood, yeah. his mate Hooky, wasn't he? Yeah, and, uh, and Harry as well. So I met all those three. They were on the train. They got on the train singing to uh, Queen... Bohemian Rhapsody, I think, off the top of my head. They were singing. uh, They were singing it off their phones. This is our Christmas banter, I think. This is the end of our our, our trading year. Um, The next time we're on, it's going to be our New Year's resolution one. So I just want to say thank you very much for, for trading with us. If you're a customer, thank you very much for listening to us. If you're a customer or if you're not a customer, um, we do intend to keep going on with this. You know, 2018... It's been actually a very tough year. Thank you very much for those that have traded with us. And, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Happy Christmas. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.com.
dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tin Shed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. Okay, uh, we're going to take a two-week break from the podcast. Um, I've got to go into rehab for all the beer I've been drinking on our banter. And uh, I should come out of the Priory just in time to get going again in the early new year. Thank you for listening. Happy Christmas. Ho, ho, ho.